I oftentimes will prep just ingredients. So I'll have brown rice, beans, and different veggies that I've steamed that are available. So I can do a little of this, a little of that. Just throw it together. Apples and bananas are always standard in my house. Peanut butter and nuts. Welcome to the Plant-Based DFW Podcast Weekly Show with Dr. Riz and Maya. A show broadcasted from the Dallas-Fort Worth area that focuses on lifestyle medicine. This is the use of evidence-based lifestyle therapeutic approaches, such as a whole food plant-based diet, regular physical exercise, adequate sleep, and stress management to treat, prevent, and oftentimes reverse lifestyle-related chronic diseases that are all too prevalent. Every week, they feature a guest who speaks on one of these lifestyle medicine pillars. This show is for you, the person who is seeking to improve your overall wellness and quality of life. So whether you are driving, walking, or relaxing at home, we hope this show will provide you one more tool for your wellness toolbox. Let's meet today's podcast guest. Welcome to the Plant-Based DFW Podcast. I am Maya Acosta, and this is episode 145. In this episode, I share a highlight from my first interview with a non-binary guest who is also plant-based marathoner and environmentalist, Ruth Carter. Now, this episode took place just before the pandemic while they were preparing for their first Ironman race. I hope that you enjoy this episode. So welcome, Ruth. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on your show. And thank you for coming on the show. So let's get started first on your story of how you became plant-based. So I love documentaries. And so after watching three or four documentaries about factory farming and the way that animals are treated, I wasn't comfortable having a diet where an animal was suffering for my meal. So I made the decision. First, I just became vegetarian and I was still pescatarian because I thought fish don't have feelings. And then I learned no fish do have feelings. So I was like, okay, well, then I'm, you know, fish, you know, I'm like, okay, no more fish. It's like, okay, but if an animal, if a cow is living well and they're giving milk for cheese, like that's okay. And then I learned like, oh no, even these animals that we are using for milk and eggs can be really badly treated. So I'm not comfortable with an animal suffering for my lunch. So that's when I decided to go completely plant-based. And so it was the documentaries. Can you tell us any of those, recommend any of those for us? Oh, geez. Like maybe Cowspiracy, you saw that one or? I think I saw like Food Incorporated. I saw Fed Up. Basically, if you go to your library and look up like food documentary, I've probably seen it. So let me ask you this. So you went plant-based for the animals and then, but you're still eating healthy. So sometimes people don't make that transition to also eating healthy plant-based foods. How did you do that? Or how did you begin to learn what to eat? So I've been involved with athletics most of my life. So I've always tried to be conscientious of what I was putting into my body. Even when I was putting crap into my body, I knew it. So I've learned how to read labels and whatnot. I've actually seen a nutritionist who gave me a recommended diet. Not that I follow it, but I have it. And when I went plant-based, I realized like, okay, I need to make sure I'm getting enough calories, enough protein, enough carbs. And really, when you look at the numbers, 
it's not hard. The biggest challenge I've had to deal with is I've had to supplement my diet with a couple of different vitamins. That way, I to make sure that I was getting complete nutrition. Mm-hmm. What would we find today in your diet in terms of, say, when athletes are um, carving up, do you carb up? Oh, yeah. One of the best things and what I'm looking forward to for Ironman is like four days leading up to the race. I'm allowed to eat whatever I want. I am going to enjoy that thoroughly. Of course, I'll stick to try to stick to healthier foods, but whole wheat bagels and burritos and vegan pizza. And basically, if I want it, I can have it. Right. That's what I love about being plant-based is that really, we're not really limited or restricted in terms of as long as you're eating the whole plant-based foods, there are a lot of satisfying things. A lot of foods that really satisfy us and are satiating, I guess. That's what I'm saying. Absolutely. So did you say that you've been an athlete for a long time as well? How many years have you been running? Well, I was a gymnast for 17 years and I've been a runner for a about, uh, I think coming up on 10 years now. Wow. That's why you're so fit. Because <laughs> I've seen photos of you and you look great. And then, so you were probably already in shape before you became plant-based. Yeah. I had been running for probably five years before I started shifting towards vegetarianism, pescatarianism, and ultimately veganism. Mm-hmm. Do you ever participate in any of the get-togethers? Because I know there are some other plant-based athletes out there in Arizona. That's where you're at. So like, for example, Robert Cheek. Do you know who he is? I don't. Okay. He's more of a bodybuilder. Oh, okay. Yeah, I have to think about it. Sometimes I, you know, people from all walks of life. And there's also an environmentalist, Dr. Salish Rao, who does some talks on climate change and the impact of the food choices that we make. So I meant to go this year to a conference this past year and I wasn't able to. So I may go this year to his conference. That's awesome. Yeah. So I want to kind of throw this out there, a fun fact about you, which is that you recently participated in this no pants rail ride. What was that about? So this was a global event started by Improv Everywhere out of New York and it expanded to include cities all over the world where for one day people rode their public transportation where from the waist up you look totally normal and waist down you're only in underwear and shoes. (laughs) Was this the first time or you've been doing it for a while? Oh, I've done it every year since 2009. So this was my 12th ride. Oh my goodness. And then, so I bet you get a kick out of people just kind of staring at you. (laughs) It's hilarious to watch the reaction. Let's see when people first walk onto the train and our group is already there. They look up, they look down, immediately look back up with shock. Like, oh, I did not expect to see that much thigh. (laughs) So, because I did see some media coverage on it, but I had no idea what it was about. Like, I wasn't sure if there was a purpose behind it all or you're just having... (laughs) fun. (laughs) We're just having fun. We get that question a lot of like, what's going on? It's like, uh, and we're acting like nothing strange is happening. So I'll just say like, oh, I'm just heading downtown to meet up with my friends. I have no idea why other people aren't wearing their pants. Yeah. (laughs) Well, this is a lot of fun. So going back to your training, when are you expected to do your full Ironman? I am doing the Ironman in Montreblanc in August. Oh my goodness. And so do you train? What does that look like during the week? How much training do you do? 
So I have a coach. His name is David Rower. And every Sunday evening, I get a text from him that tells me what my workout for the week is. Mm -hmm. So right now, I swim twice a week, I bike twice a week, and I run twice a week. And since we're so far out from the race, we see this week, my run was one was a little under five miles. I have to run a 10K tomorrow. I'm also recovering from a hip injury, so we're not pushing the run too hard. My bike, I did two rides this week, one hour on my trainer and then another half an hour on my trainer. Mm -hmm. And swimming, we're working on speed. So I did a 750 swim and a 1500 swim. Wow. (laughs) That is impressive. And Plus, and then I have strength and stretch on top of that. Okay. Do you find that Arizona is sort of ideal for training for something like this since you do most of it outdoors, I guess, except for lifting maybe? So it depends. Depends because we do get chilly in the morning. So my pool that I swim in is outdoors, but heated, thank goodness. Sometimes I bike on my trainer. Sometimes I bike outside. In the morning, it's cold and it's dark. So to avoid getting hit by cars, I've been riding indoors. But then when I run, I'm definitely outdoors early morning. But even then, our coldest mornings lately have only been in the 40s. So I'm still in shorts and a t-shirt. Oh my, I love it. The challenge is going to be come June, July, when I have to do my really long workouts, Mm -hmm. and the low for the day is 88 degrees. So (laughs) I'm, and we don't do daylight savings in Arizona, so it gets light early. So I'm going to probably have to get up at like 3.30 in the morning to get in my workouts before it gets too warm. Oh my, yes. I mean, I do remember I grew up in Arizona. I know what the summers are like. But you know what's interesting? I have an uncle who lives in Mexico City who would visit us probably more like around April or May. Mm -hmm. And he would drive from Mexico City in his vehicle to Arizona, to the Phoenix area, and then carry with him his bike because he's a cyclist. So he would go out there and ride. He just loved the mountains and just thought we were so blessed to be in such a wonderful space. so it's for some cyclists, it's a dream to live out there. Mm-hmm. Oh, it definitely is. I've, I've heard we have a lot of top-notch cyclists who are like professionals, like their job is cycling. They, <laughs> they winter in Arizona for that reason. Right, exactly. So um, I have a question because you mentioned when we were talking about, um, well, not so much talking about it, but you had previously mentioned that you gave yourself estrogen poisoning. What was that about? <laughs> I have unfortunately inadvertently given myself estrogen poisoning several times. A couple of different things can cause a person's estrogen levels to rise, and I I appear to be highly susceptible to a couple of different things. The first one was soy. So when I started get when I was working out in like the late early two thousand, so like two thousand six, two thousand seven. Yeah, 2007, 2008, I started going to a gym, went with a trainer who said, oh, you should be having like 15 grams of protein for every meal and snack. And I started eating a lot of things that were soy-based. And I didn't know anything about soy being a phytoestrogen or what that meant to the human body. And everything went haywire in my body and we did some blood work and it turned out I had an estrogen level of over 700 and it should never get above like 430. So I had like the same level of estrogen as what you would expect to see in somebody who was going through um, 
gender correction. And so like being like male to female transgender and taking hormone replacements. Okay. So, um, so what happened was I gained 20 pounds for no reason. Um, my cycle was all over the place. Mm-hmm. I, I felt like I had PMS on steroids 24 seven. And once I took soy out of my diet, everything dropped back down to normal. Oh my goodness. See, that's, I'm a little bit confused about that only because I hear differently, but you were taking in high levels, you said. I mean, I, yeah. I went from being somebody who didn't eat any soy beyond like what is just, you know, cursory trace amounts in this and that, but to be somebody who like ate like Kashi cereal and protein bars and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, that's what I learned. Soy and I are not friends. So I, I avoid it. Um, And then I, again, gave myself estrogen poisoning uh, from BPA, so which stands for bisphenol A, which is something that you find in some liners of canned products and also like Tupperware plastic containers if you're heating your food in it and like in the microwave, which as I was doing meal prep, I was and everything went haywire again, did the blood work estrogen level even higher than it was the last time I gave myself estrogen poisoning. And that's when I learned. And after doing some research, I realized, oh, BPA can do this to people. So I, I'm just going to go with the assumption that I am a person who is highly sensitive to phytoestrogens and I should just avoid them in high doses. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a good point in high doses. So I didn't know, I'm aware of VPA. I had no idea that it can actually contribute to estrogen levels or affect your hormones. I guess I know that VPA can wreak havoc in the body. I just didn't know it can affect the estrogen so much. That is the hypothesis I'm working from. What I can tell, I have not had estrogen poisoning since I've started avoiding BPA. Right. And we we also recommend avoiding BPA. So these two things that happened to you, was that as a result of going plant-based in a sense? Not (laughs) that it was directly connected to the foods that you were eating, but because you were taking in, usually when we transition, we think we have to eat a lot of soy and we forget we can eat other fruits as well. And then of course, canned foods make cooking a lot easier, especially canned beans and things like that. So Mm -hmm. did these two things happen when you became plant-based? So the soy one wasn't, I was still just a carnivore at the time and just completely unrelated, but just because a lot of protein like protein bars and protein-based cereals have a lot of soy. So that's what I was shifting to. And then the BPA one came out of, I believe, because I started really getting into doing meal prep. So it was related to being plant-based, but not a direct connection. Okay. So actually, I'm curious about your meal prepping. Since you are very busy with your training, you have to prep your meals. And so you're not no longer using plastic for your foods. But what would we see in your fridge in terms of how you're prepping your food? So sometimes over the weekend, I will break out the crock pot and make a big pot of something. I love things like lentil soup, vegan chili, it's still winter even here in Arizona, so I like making chickpea noodle soup. So sometimes you'll see those in my refrigerator in glass containers. I oftentimes will prep just ingredients. So I'll have brown rice and beans and different veggies that I've steamed that are just available. So I can just do a little of this, a little of that, just throw it together. Apples and bananas are always standard in my house. Peanut butter, nuts. Mm-hmm. 
I do use protein powder and that unfortunately does come in a plastic container, but I strive to be 90% plastic free or single use plastic free. So yeah, those are the uh, types of things that you would find in my house. Sounds like the kind of food that I like. It's exactly what I enjoy, actually. Chickpeas, lentils, brown rice, all that good stuff. They really give you a lot of energy and have lots of fiber. Yep. <laughs> so sounds like you know what you're doing. Are you going to have uh, some sort of ebook or PDF in the future, you think, for athletes? <laughs> in the near future, probably not. There's so many other fantastic resources out there. That's one wheel I don't need to reinvent because there are like there are plant-based Ironman athletes out there who I keep an eye on to see what they're doing. And I'll admit I kind of eat like a five-year-old, so I do. I'll, I'll tend to be that person who watches. YouTube videos about like, oh, how do you make vegan mac and cheese that people actually taste good and actually taste kind of like mac and cheese. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. And, you know, I actually did not see if you have a YouTube channel, but you have a vlog. I have a blog. My law firm, I'm a lawyer by trade. My law firm has a YouTube channel where I do little lawyer question of the day videos, but the only place you will find me talking about Iron Man type stuff is over on my personal blog, undeniableruth.com. Okay. And and, uh, what kind of things can we find on your blog? Basically, it's whatever adventure I'm going on or whatever turns me on or pisses me off that week. <laughs> so I, so I, I, last year, I did a year where I kept my head shaved. So I just wrote a blog post about what that was like. I did a blog post recently about doing an open water practice swim because it's very different to swim in open water like a lake compared to a pool and swimming in a wetsuit is completely different than a bathing suit. So I unfortunately tend to panic a little bit when I first start an open water swim and I need to learn how to not do that by the time my race (laughs) comes along. So my last post was about that. I'll write about my dog. I'll write about... Ironman training. I'll write about social issues, like what it's like to be non-binary and legal issues around that. So if it's going on in my life, it is fodder for the blog. It sounds like, especially the one on swimming and open water, I, I need to check that one out. Let's come back in a minute to your non-binary. <clears throat> Excuse me. Gosh, I am so sorry. That's why I've been delayed on things because of my throat. So let's come back in a minute to talk about what it's like to be non-binary. I don't want to move away yet. Uh, We were talking about plastic and that's another thing that intrigued me about you. And, you know, when we want to minimize the use of plastic, especially when it's only a one-time use, can you tell us about what your experience has been with that? And also where do we tend to see one-time use in packaging or what? I see one-time use plastics everywhere. And once you become cognizant of where they are, it's actually pretty easy to avoid as long as you do a little bit of preparation. It's simple things like using glass instead of plastic for your foods. I have reusable mesh bags that I use at the grocery store instead of taking the plastic bags for my produce. When I buy things, I look at the bulk section. And so I don't buy things like crackers and cereal that come in a box, but inside the box is a bag. And so I look at the bulk section to see if I can just get just the amount I need and there. So like I switched from having cereal that comes in a box to buying oatmeal and you can get all your baked goods and dried fruit and nuts 
in the bulk section. It's little things like I carry around a foldable travel spork in my bags so I never have to take plastic cutlery if it's ever offered. I bring my own cup or my own to-go mug. It's things like that, that it's really easy to avoid once you know that it's there, unless there's a product like my protein powder that only comes in a plastic canister and the bulk section has protein powder that's either whey-based, which is milk, or soy. So that's why now I give myself a pass and it's like, okay, get be 90% compliant mm. with avoiding single-use plastics because just there's the, you will occasionally run into situations where it's unavoidable. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, you know, as a result of that, well, I don't feel comfortable drinking out of plastic containers anyway, if I'm just drinking water. So we started making our own water also with a filtration system. What I found difficult was when I fly, I carry my container, my own container for water. Mm-hmm. And in the past, I've asked the flight attendants to please just serve my water in my own container and they refuse. They have to go by And you as a lawyer probably know maybe, but they have to serve me in their own plastic containers. Oh, it makes sense that there would be like weird restrictive rules because it only takes one person to ruin it for everybody. So I'm (laughs) sure there's a story involved. And if they were serving you from their own, that water comes out of a plastic bottle anyway. So, Oh no, that's not good to hear. (laughs) So yeah, no, when I fly, I bring my plastic water bottle or my reusable water bottle. Sorry, it's Uh just metal. Right. That I fill at the airport before I get on the plane. Mm -hmm. And then I did my homework on the airline that I usually use about what beverages they serve because a lot of canned sodas and other beverages that come in cans, the can has a BPA lining in it. So a lot of times I can't have any, if I want to avoid all BPA, I can't have anything from the beverage cart on the airplane. Right, exactly. And then also now I've learned to carry my own to-go container so that mm-hmm. if I do happen to eat out with friends and things like that, I can take my leftovers and not feel guilty about even using styrofoam because even that itself is just awful. Right. Um, so I wonder where else we would see single-use plastic. But one thing that I do, I also have my mesh bags, but I find it a little bit difficult with smaller, in the bulk section, smaller items that may fall through the mesh. Do you have other things that you recommend? So for the bulk section, when I decided to give up plastic, I still had plastic bags that I had from previous bulk runs. Mm -hmm. And so I just used those over and over again. So it's meant to be a single-use item, but it has a long life in my world. So (laughs) that's one way that I deal with it. I do have also at my store that has the bulk section, you can bring in your own container Mm -hmm. and they will weigh it. And then, so you can use your own, like bring in your own jar for things like sugar, flour, whatever. And then when you check out, they'll take off the weight of the jar. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's actually good to know. You know, I didn't know that. Have you found that to be true in most grocery stores? You have to check with the store. I know in Arizona, Sprouts will do that, but Winco will not. So Winco's is known on the west side of the U.S. They have an amazing bulk section, but you have to use a plastic bag. They will not let you weigh your own or be willing to pay for the weight of your jar. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. I'm going to give that a try. So Ruth, I want to hear about your friend, your rescue, Rosie Bassett, because you also have an Instagram page for her. 
Oh, yes. She got an Instagram before I did. So, yes. It says that Rosie Bassett is my dog, Rosie. And then Scarlet Maven is my personal Instagram. I rescued Rosie in 2012, so almost eight years ago. And she had eyes when I got her, but then she developed glaucoma. So now she has no eyes. And she's in my contract at work, so she comes to the office with me. And she's just a big love. I just adore her. She's getting older and slows down. And this morning, I had a great experience because one of the benefits of having a blind dog is they don't wake up when you turn the light on to snap a picture of them sleeping when they look really cute for Instagram. So... That's so sweet. And do you feel, so is it difficult since she lost her eyesight to guide her or to just take regular walks with her? Not really, actually. I was lucky that I reached out to another parent of a blind Bassett when she was actually in surgery, having her eyes removed. And she said, Bassett's do great. They bounce back. It's harder on the human than it is for the dog. And they said, don't move the furniture. And don't leave clutter on the floor, which mm-hmm. I was like, okay, apparently there are people who recreationally move the furniture in their house. I don't, but I respect that there are people who do. But mm-hmm. yeah, you never leave your shoes out. I always feel bad, like when I shift my bike from being next to the wall to being in front of the TV for my indoor rides, if she like walks up and bumps into it. But thankfully, she's a Bassett and she's 12. She's not moving fast. So she's not going to hurt herself. And then when we go for walks, sometimes it's kind of like walking a marionette doll to just make sure she doesn't walk off curbs or into walls. But otherwise, she's got a really good nose. She can sniff her way around. Oh, will she be traveling with you when you go participate in your Ironman? No, no, okay. Rosie does not get to go to Canada. So, <laughs> no, well, she'll go to what I call camp for that. She'll be boarded, but I do try to adapt my life so that I'm traveling as little as possible so I don't have to leave her now that she's getting older. Yes. Okay. So, Ruth, is there anything else that you would like to share with us? I know you have a full plate. You're very active. You have a lot going on. I guess the only thing I want to share just for this audience is that going plant-based, it's not hard. The food's good. And even if I'm somebody who has the palate like a five-year-old, so (laughs) I don't want fancy schmancy stuff. I want stuff that tastes good and simple. So it's actually really easy to do. And as an athlete, I never feel deprived. Thank you for sharing that. Especially because you are an athlete, you would know. You would know if your sugar drops, if you're feeling weak, but it sounds like from the list of foods that you gave us, it sounds like you know exactly how to take care of yourself and how to build energy. Yeah. And And that's um, something we work on during my workouts is I'm always trying to be aware of, okay, when am I getting hungry? Because if I'm getting hungry during a workout, I'm not fueling properly. And so those are things we watch and adjust to so that come race day, um, I never feel that calorie deficit. Right. Well, you definitely will have an edge because you are a clean eater and because you're plant-based. So thank you so much for sharing this. And how can we follow you to root you, to cheer for you for this race that you'll be in? You can follow me on undeniableruth.com. I'm RB Carter on Twitter. I'm Scarlet Maven on Instagram. If you go to geeklawfirm.com, it'll have all my socials. And so that's probably the easiest place to find me. 
Okay. And I'm going to make sure to add all those links to the bio there, the information. Ruth, thank you so much for your time and sharing what it's like to be someone who's prepping for Ironman and all the other fun things that you're part of. Uh, Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thanks. You've been listening to the Plant-Based DFW podcast show. If you like our content, please like, share, and leave a review. Our goal is to provide quality episodes to help support the community.